Hey everyone, thank you for joining us for another Gold Street Garden podcast episode. We're so honored to have you join us. We have started a new vein of thought from the scriptures regarding spiritual warfare and going after this with everything to unmask the enemy and his schemes and his tactics and staying fixated on the call of God and our identity in Christ, which gives us the full assurance of victory in every realm of life. We pray that this blesses you and empowers you to walk in the fullness of all God has for you in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. There's been so much burning in my heart tonight. We've been on a, a few weeks talking about spiritual warfare from, from the biblical lens and really going after that. The Lord wants us to take a pivot tonight, but we're going to stay on the threat of spiritual warfare as we pivot. But the Lord really has it on my heart to talk about the family of God and unity. This is very big, and tonight the message that the Lord has placed on my heart is the war against family. The war against family. That from the very beginning, the enemy hates family. He hates family so much that he will do whatever it takes to destroy families. And I want to show you from a biblical lens why it's so important that we are at a place of interceding for family and that we are all stepping into our God-given roles in our family and in the body of Christ. Does everybody believe that that's important? If you look at statistics, and we'll go through some tonight, that the broken homes and what that causes and the ripple effects that that causes, that's why, that's why our nation's the way it is. That's why the world is the way it is. It's because men haven't stepped into their God-given role as father. It's because, and, and, and it's not just about being a strong man. And it's about being a man that surrendered unto Jesus. And I want to go through a few things. And if you could, this was on my heart during praise and worship. So this is a little off the cuff, but it's in the moment. But if you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3, I want to read the prayer that Paul prays. Starting in verse 14, he says this, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family... In heaven and earth is named. Did you know that Jesus came to the earth to restore family? He came to restore family. And when you read this, that we're all part of the same family. Did you know that we're going to live together forever? Isn't that, that's, that's miraculous. Because in our, in our day and age, it's kind of like, Sometimes we just see each other once in a while, but not realizing that God is actually trying to build a community, a, a, a love in the family, in the body of Christ. This is why so many people resent the church and resent different things is because sometimes it's their own perception. But a lot of times people just don't feel loved or they don't sense that community. And why are so many people, like this world is just full of different communities, right? Like different a groups of people that they can get involved with, whether it's a movement or whether it's just this act. You know what I'm talking about? Like people are constantly, whether it's a political party that people find, all, they put all their faith in. I want to share this with you. Your sanity is at the mercy of wherever your faith is at. Your sanity is at the mercy of wherever you place your faith. 
So if your faith isn't in Jesus, your sanity will be all over. You're going to be insane. This is why we look around and you wonder why the news looks crazy. It's because they are all yielded to the spirit of insanity. They're yielded to the spirit of confusion. The Bible says that God is not the author of confusion. That means the enemy is. So if you entertain confusion, you will allow the enemy to write your story. But he's the author of faith. So when you begin to have faith, you give him the ink to write your story. You give God the ink to write your story. And that's where we need to be. So when we keep reading, it says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit. Everyone say his spirit. This Christian walk, did you know you can't do it on your own? That's why he sent the Holy Spirit. He sent the Holy Spirit so that way you would be strengthened. Do you know when you feel weak that God has already placed everything you need to be victorious in this life? That when you feel weak, it's actually a beautiful reminder that I need to lean on the one I love. Sometimes when people get weak and discouraged, they go into a funk of depression instead of realizing it's an invitation to lean on his bosom you got to always flip the script. The enemy tries to get you discouraged and depressed, but you should just say, oh, thank you for reminding me to lean on my father. Thank you for reminding me that I can't do this alone. Because the, you know what the enemy does without realizing it? He preaches the gospel. He just leaves Jesus out of it. He says, you'll never make it. And you know what you say? I'm, you're right. I could never make it. But he made a way. He made a way. The enemy would be, would be like, you're no good. And you're like, you know what? I was no good because I was a sinner. But he made me the righteousness of God. Thank you for reminding me, Satan. He just, he just preaches the verse, but he leaves the chorus out. And you just need to remember that in your walk with the Lord. But it keeps saying that. That Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Did you know that sometimes when you're like, I just don't feel like Jesus is in my heart. He dwells in your heart through faith. That he's always there. But if you want the experiential love of Jesus, it, it requires you to stay engaged. Stay engaged in faith because he rules through this. And then this is the part I wanted to get to. Being rooted. Everyone say rooted. And grounded, say that, and grounded in love. Being rooted and grounded in love. Do you know when a tree, if, in order for a seed to be able to grow, what does it have to do? It has to break through the surface. It has to be able to break through. And the reason that so many people's love is so weak is because they're not willing to see past the surface. They're, they're not willing to break through the, what's going on in the natural. The natural is too much for them. And in order to be rooted and grounded in love, God does a work that you actually penetrate everything that you see and you go to a place. And what's funny about growing and going down in the soil, it's dark. It's actually a little frightening. Sometimes God wants to take us to a place where it's like, you don't know what's going on, but you know that his love is light and that he will guide us there. And you don't know what's going on totally, but you just, like we, as evangelists, that God just told Abraham to go. He didn't, he just said, he just said, go. 
leave everything familiar and go. And as he went, he learned this, this trust with God. And as you keep reading, it says that you may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the width and length and depth and height. So being rooted that God is trying to take us lower and lower in humility so that way our minds are able to comprehend this love, this love that he has for us, to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge. You see, there's so many Christians that when we go out on the streets and we tell people, has anybody ever told you God loves you? Yeah, I, yeah, I know that. No, it's, it's not like that. It's not like that. You see, Jesus is not, Jesus' love is not an education. It's not just something that you can get. Like, God loves you is not sound theology. It's sound reality. It, it, what's the point of sound theology if you can't hear the sound of his voice? It's, it's his voice that brings the love. It's his voice and it's this relationship where we're growing to know the love which passes knowledge that even Paul said when he comes to preach the gospel, he says, I didn't come with words of man's wisdom to impress you. He said, I came with the power and the demonstration of the gospel that Jesus was crucified and raised from the grave. You see, the gospel is not this huge intellectual thing where we got to convince people of every little iota. It's an encounter with the living Christ. You see, when Paul was on his high horse going to Damascus, you see, Paul knew everything about the Old Testament. He knew every scripture. He knew everything. And it only took one encounter with the resurrected Jesus to show him that everything he knew was just head knowledge. But when he had an encounter with the living Christ, this is why you and I need to get to a place where we are possessed by God. So that way when you go through a drive through they're not looking into a, a customer's eyes, but they're looking into the eyes of eternity. They're looking into somebody's eyes that says, hey, you might be having a crazy day and people might be treating you, but has anybody told you that there is a God that has been chasing you down and you thought I was just getting a coffee, but I want you to know that you have a purpose, you have a calling. What if we all went around acting this way that we were so so convinced you know I, I one of the things in my prayer life lately people probably think I'm crazy the way I pray lately because when I'm getting alone with the Lord I'm saying God what would it be like if your desires if your desires filled my heart and when I prayed I would it would be like me praying like I understand the hurt and the darkness you see and all of a sudden I almost feel like he's funneling his fire and his desires through me. And I'm actually not even able to speak what I feel. And it talks about this in Romans. It says you start to groan. And people are like, what are you talking about? It says that the Holy Spirit grows. It's, it's almost like, God, 
I just want to see my I just want to see my my county. I want to see my family come to know you. I want to see regions, and then it just starts burning in you because you start seeing what's going on in the news, and you see that if we feel a certain way and our hearts are broken, how much more are his, is his broken? And he's trying to get us to a place where we don't just come together and give each other high fives and say, "Wow, that was a great church service," but that we allow his desires to consume us, and that we leave here set ablaze that we come together to encourage one another and say we are the family of God and we have brothers and sisters that don't know who they are there's prodigal sons and daughters out there that we need to go love and you keep reading to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God this is what I'm talking about to be filled with the fullness of God the eternal one If you get filled with God, you're not going to act the same way. You're not going to still desire what you desired yesterday. It's going to change everything about you. But it comes with a price. You know, we hear a certain gospel. And Jesus made it very clear. If you desire to follow me, deny yourself. It's not come to me, everything's going to get better. God wants to, God, God will bless, God will do, but I want you to know that the most, when you read the book of Acts, you find that the most, the men that walk closest with the Lord had their heads cut off or crucified upside down. That was their, but you know what? They did it with a smile. They did it knowing that I'm about to be with Jesus. I ran my race. I fought the good fight. Oh, come on. Is there a better way to go out? Could you imagine? Could you imagine that one moment that you're here and somebody says, do you believe in Jesus? Are you going to confess him? And then the next moment, well done, my good and faithful servant. Because we still share their testimony today. That's how powerful their deaths were. We still talk, you know, I brought it up before that, you know, atheists, very intelligent atheists that try to study history. The, you'll hear from like some of the main, the main leaders of that group when it comes to the intellectualism and just going after it. They say the one thing we don't understand about the Christian walk is we just don't, we, we can't get over how they were willing to died the way that they did for what they believed in. That's the, that's the thing that rattles their, their minds is the sacrifice that they made because they wouldn't just die for a fairy tale. And there's something to be said about that. So when we were saying earlier the war against family, I want to go through just a few things here. You all good? That I want you to know that the enemy is the, the master architect of distraction. Have you ever, let's just like, in a, in a, just in a nutshell, have you ever had a week where the whole week goes by and you feel like you got nothing done but you did a million things? Am I the only one? You know what I'm saying? Like, you like, you ran wire to wire every day and the, the whole week goes by and you feel like, did I get anything, did I, did I get anything done? Like, 
I mean, my children are still breathing. Um, you know, like, you know, uh, I, you know, like you, you, there's certain success, right, in, in that, but the enemy is the master architect of distraction because he needs to get your eyes off of the prize. He needs to get your eyes off of things. And we live in a fast-paced culture. We live, without you all realizing it, we also live in a day and age where you have trained, the, a lot of people have trained themselves that, to be constantly entertained by their phone. By TV, like we, 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 we constantly need to be entertained to the point where if, if, if something isn't entertaining, what do we do? Just scroll. Scroll until you find a dancing panda. Scroll until you find something that will make you laugh. You, we live in a, this culture where you need entertainment all the time. And when you read the word of God and you read about the greatest victories, you read about men and women who are willing to tarry. If you don't know what Terry, it means to wait with anticipation, expectation that God's about to do something so great. But you see, when you live for entertainment, you never will, you will never be where you need to be because you'll be chasing a new entertainer. You'll be chasing a new experience instead of being planted where you need to be so that God can do what he needs to do in your life. And this happens with family because what we see in today's culture is soon as, soon as, and I, uh, when I'm talking about family tonight, I want to make sure I say that there is zero condemnation in Christ. That, that people in this room that may have had bad upbringings or may have had marriages that ended poorly or whatever, I want you all to know that I'm coming from a place of compassion tonight to read from the word of God for us to all know. But I want to give that, that I'm not out here to just try to say, oh, this thing happened, this is it. No, I want us to get back aligned with the heart of God. And when we have to talk about difficult things, do we want to talk about them, let the media talk about them, or should the church talk about some tough things too? We should be the ones that are that are holding the conversations. This is why so many people are confused because they're allowing the world to be the platform of their information. But the church needs to talk about things. The church can't just have every service we get hooping and hollering but go back and live like heathens or have horrible relationships or not truly representing Christ in our sphere. And that starts with the family. So when I... Over the weekend, uh, a dear brother in the Lord, somebody I really respect, he was just sharing his heart, and he was talking about John 17, and this is when Jesus prays for the believers. And you know the biggest thing he prays, like the pinnacle prayer, is he says, Father, I want you, I want these people, I want them to be one as you and I are one. You got, come on, you got to think about this. Jesus is saying, I want my people to be one as you and I are one. Would we believe that Jesus and the Father are pretty tight? Is there any, is there any uh, jealousy or comparative nature between Jesus and the Father? Is there any issues? Is there any baggage? Is there any skeletons in the closet? 
Jesus' reference for unity for you and I is the Trinity. I don't know if you've thought about that lately, but I would say we're failing in a lot of arenas. But I want to challenge you all and remind you that Jesus never asks the Father anything that he's not going to get. Jesus asked his Father that we would be one as he is one. And he's going to get it. And you know why he's going to get it? Because that's what dawns his return. He doesn't come back until his bride is one. And I think the church has spent too much time trying to look sexy to lure the world in instead of being beautiful for the one who is coming. The church tries to be sexy to lure the world into the services instead of just being beautiful for the one who is to come. And when you start getting this in your heart, and you, you have to understand that unity comes with a price. Do you know what the greatest price to unity is? Death of self. You know how I can prove that? It's not just death to self when Jesus came, you needed to die to yourself. When God made man, do you know what he did? We're going to go through it and say, if you go to Genesis chapter 1, just open your Bible. You'll find it. Uh, it's supposed to be a joke, but it's okay. Uh, but what happens is that in Genesis 1, when God created man, you know what he says? I'm going to create a female. So God's idea for a man was I'm going to create the exact opposite of him and make them live together. <laughs> From the very beginning, God was trying to get a place where you, it's all about humility. We talked about this before, but if you haven't realized what the world sets people up for failure, if you're single, I want to give you a point of advice. The, the world teaches you dating is finding everything you want in the other person, but marriage is dying to everything you are so the other person can be loved. So if you date, if you date without understanding that if God's not the one that's uncovering who is going to be who you're with, you're setting yourself up for massive disappointment. <laughs> he, God gave Adam Eve while he was resting in him. He was literally asleep when God made Eve. Because, and just so Adam and Eve lived in this way, God wanted to make sure that they were extra humble. So he said, all right, Adam, you're going to live with a woman who is the exact opposite of some of your characteristics and just to make sure you're extra humble we're going to give you kids <laughs> you see this is ultimate death of self because a family is all about how much you sacrifice to see everybody else grow in love this is why God created us he didn't need to he wanted to do you know how much issues humanity has caused God but he loves us he loves this dysfunctional family called humanity. He loves us. And when we keep reading, if you go to Genesis 1, I want to really hit this hard so you see this from the lens that God is trying to get through to us. 
And in Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it says, Then God said, let us. Everyone say, let us. Did you notice it doesn't say, let me? So this is God showcasing who he is. He's a triune being. It's God the Father, Jesus the Son, and the Holy Spirit. That when God created man, and let's keep reading, it says, let us make man in our image. This is God's grand finale. He's made, he's made animals, he's made plant life, he's made stars, he's made the moon, and his grand finale is to make us. And he makes us in his image according to our likeness. He says, let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps in Walmart. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. Just want to make sure everybody knows there are two genders in the Bible. Now, I don't say that to, to cause a ruckus. I say that for the sake of not allowing the enemy to confuse. I want you to hear my heart on this, that the church has to be watchful to not hate on a community or hate on certain things. Our heart is that we hurt that people are confused about who they really are. And when you come from that place of understanding that I want to say something that seems radical, your gender is a spiritual assignment from the Lord. That, that seems radical nowadays. But your gender is a spiritual assignment from the Lord. Why would I say that? Why would I say that? Because I want you to see that he said God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female, he created them. So God, he said, let us, everybody say let us again, make man in our own image. But his idea of his image was what? A relationship. Because it wasn't just creating man, it was creating male and female. So God's definition of his image is marriage. Not just a man but marriage, let's take it a step further. God's image is family. This, this, this is why the enemy hates family so much because when a family is fully surrendered to God, it preaches the gospel better than anything on this planet. When you see a father step into his role of surrendered unto the Lord and you see a mother and then you see children walking in the blessing of the Lord, it preaches the gospel. But that's not the only thing because Jesus raises it up a standard and he says that anybody that does my will is my family this is why we are all the family of God and that no matter what your past is no matter what has been broken that you have been ushered into the family of God and we need this in our hearts and the way that we go about but do you see this again God created man in his own image and what is crazy about this is that God then tells them to be fruitful and to multiply. So you know how God wanted to advance his kingdom? Through a family. Not, not through a movement. Not through a, a, a revival. Not through 
all these different things. God actually said that a family is what I want to use to advance the kingdom. And you know, what even proves this even more is after God did that, Adam and Eve fall. They fall into sin by entertaining the voices of the enemy. And you know what happens is that when they fall, God then finds another man, Noah. Everyone say Noah. And then Noah preaches for a hundred years. Everybody say a hundred years. Oh, like he preaches for a hundred years that judgment is coming. And he builds an ark while he's doing it. And you know, after he preaches for a hundred years, do you know how many people showed up to his church service called the ark? Just his family. After preaching for a hundred years, only his family showed up to the grand finale, the great church launch. And God wanted to repopulate the earth after the flood subsided with a family. This is profound. And the enemy always comes in to destroy family. I want to read a couple stats to you that and the, this was taken from, this was a, a consensus in, in a 2020, that it says one out of every four children do not have a biological father or stepfather or an adoptive father. And this is, and th it comes out to 18.3 million. This is, this, is, this is profound in the sense that one out of every four children. Now, going even further, the, the stats even prove that these children are four times more greater to live a life of complete poverty. Seven times more likely to be pregnant as a teen. Seven times more likely. Do you see that the, this isn't just natural repercussions. This is the enemy trying to accelerate destruction. Trying to accelerate his plan to destroy God's image, which is family, surrendered to God. And I wanted to also say on this that suicide is the second leading cause of death among young people between the ages 13 and 24. The second leading cause. And it even goes to say that it's, it's estimated that at least one youth, like I said, between the ages of 13 and 24, attempts suicide every 45 seconds in the United States of America. And back to what I was saying, too, before about just kind of understanding the confusion that's going on in the LGBTQT community. It says that they are four times more likely to commit suicide in that age group and in that age demographic. Because of the confusion of what the enemy is just stealing identity. And we see in our culture how it's getting indoctrinated into children, right? That these, these, the, these demonic things that it's all, and it, it, it's not about, what, it's about what is going into people's minds and in their image. And I want to share with you that, have you, ever, have you ever heard that, you know, before you knew Jesus, you were lost? Has anybody ever heard that before? I was lost. Did you know that the only way you could be lost is if you at one time belonged? Because if I lost my phone, it's because it belongs to me. 
The only reason someone's lost is because they belong to him. And when you get that in your heart, you don't just see people in their mistakes and say, oh, it's this people group or it's this people group. All you do is you see they need to know that they're lost, that there is a father that will help them know what their identity is. It's not about a political party. It's not about this. It's about people understanding that their created value. How do you, everybody has the burning question inside, what's my purpose? What am I called to do? And instead of finding it through who he has called them to be, this world is pounding them with different agendas and different things that uh, kids nowadays, they're going to schools. I know that some people in the room or parents would even know that it is getting crazier and crazier in public school systems to the point where there is just no filter for what they're learning at such a young age. Things that some of us didn't even think about till later in life, that they're actually being taught it when they're in elementary school as options. Because it's the enemy trying to confuse identity, trying to hurt where people are at. So Psalm 139, it says this, that, in verses 13 through 14, the psalmist says this. He says that you knew me in my mother's womb. And he said that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Now, here's my favorite part. He says, this my soul knows very well. Say that with me. This my soul knows very well. You see, David was convinced that he was fearfully, wonderfully made, and he knew it in his soul. And because he knew that, that is what caused him to be a man after God's own heart. That's what caused him to be able to move through so much things. You need to know who you are because if you don't know who you are, the enemy will tell you who he wants you to be. You have to know who you are in Christ. It is your, we've been saying this for a week, that spiritual warfare, it's not that we have a struggle in a fight with the enemy. We have a struggle in staying secure in our identity. We already won. The victory is already won. The enemy just tries to get in your mind and talk. We said this before, that the enemy can't overpower you. He can only talk you out of the power God's given you. He can't overpower you. You are a child of the living God. And you have to have that conviction in your heart. 2 Corinthians 4.4, 4, and I'm just going to fire a few scriptures out to you. It says this, and actually I am going to turn there because I do want to get eyes on this for myself as I'm reading this. But 2 Corinthians 4.4 4 reads... I'm actually going to start at verse 3. But even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing, whose minds the God of this age has blinded. This is saying that the devil, in some translations, he's the God of this world. And it says that the devil's job is to blind people's minds from seeing Jesus. So it blinds who do not believe, lest the light of the gospel, the glory of Christ, who is the image. Everyone say image. He's the image of God should shine on them. For we do not preach ourselves, but Christ Jesus the Lord and ourselves, your bondservants, for Jesus' sake. For it is the God who commanded light to shine out of darkness, who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
This is saying that the devil is working overtime to blind you, to blind culture, to blind people from seeing the image of God. Because as soon as they see the image of God, they are going to run out of confusion into their identity. And we are going to see a massive move of God in our region. This is why we are doing outreaches. This is why we're hitting the streets. Because people are lost. People need to see the image of God. They need to see Christ in you, the hope of glory. It's not, and we got to get past this thing where everybody's not doing well and we're only coming to church to feel better no we need to go out there we need to the reason you don't feel good sometimes is because you are not being who God's called you to be out there I get so filled up when I start telling others about Jesus in fact that's what I do when the enemy starts giving me bad thoughts I say you know what I'm about to tell somebody about Jesus because I want him to know that every time he messes with me another one is gonna bite the dust I'm going after another you have to you have to allow yourself to get to a place where you are so sensitive to the leading of the Spirit that you don't need to rely on everyone else around you, but your, your relationship with God. You know, sometimes I heard Dan Muller say this and it always stuck out to me. He said, have you ever, he said, uh, he runs into so many people who say, oh, I went to this church and there was no love there. And Dan Muller said, well, did you go? And they're like, yeah, well, when you walked in, love should have went there too. So much times we're like, we judge things based off what's going on around us, not realizing that we infiltrate every area we go, that we're on assignment everywhere we go to love and reveal the family of God. So Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. That means that you don't fall aligned with the patterns of this world. How many people are conforming? Do you all even have family members and friends that you, that you used to be able to have normal conversations with and now certain topics become nuclear? Soon as certain things come up, the enemy has caused so much wedges talking about surface things, and the body of Christ needs to see past that. Be not conformed to this world, but what does it say? Be transformed by the renewing of the mind. How do you renew your mind? you got to lay down your stupid thinking, and you need to say, God, I want your thinking, and you start putting it in you every day. You read the word. You get it in your heart, and it transforms you. I, when I read the word, I get to a place where I want to... And I'm just being real with you all. I want to, I, I have tear stains in my Bible. Because you know what tears are? Liquid revelation. Something burning in your heart. You're like, I don't want to think the way that I used to. I need, I need this word to go past a concept to conception. I need it to take root in me and birth something beautiful. So be not conformed to this world, but be transformed. So the enemy, when, when people get born again, uh, you know, we were having, I was having a conversation with a few people. Have you all seen people come to know Jesus or even have a radical encounter and now they're off living for the world? Has anybody seen people that, that it happens all the time because there's a responsibility after, after you get born again that you have to start changing the way you think because it's not just this one little experience. That experience is actually giving you a grace to make the best decision of your life. Follow him. It's a relationship. 
It's a consecration. So Exodus 20 verse 4, when God's giving the commandments, he says, have no idols, no other idols. And he says, no graven image. You see, God doesn't want any images before you other than him. And because these images will get you to conform to something that you were never called to be. And we're seeing this attack on the family. And when we were talking earlier, has anybody heard the story of Abraham with his son Isaac? That when Abraham took Isaac and laid him on the altar and was about to take his life. Did you know that when we read history and we see that Isaac was actually of age to know what was going on? That would be a crazy situation. Isaac, like... Dad, what, what, what the heck is going on? Like Isaac was aware what was going on. But you know what we learn from this story about family? Is that parents, family in this room, there's something special that will take place when you put your family on the altar. When you put your family on the altar, you're about to see God meet needs like never before. Some people in this room, they're worried about their children that are walking away from the Lord. I'm here to say, you put them on the altar. You put them on the altar and let God show you that he is a provider, that he will reveal Christ in a way. There's people in this room, you need to start Stop worrying so much about what's going to happen to your children when they grow up. You need to lay your family on the altar and watch what God will do. He'll miraculously show you things. Because I think if we all go around the room, there's so many people that in family and in relationships, there's so much that can worry us and concern us. But we need to learn to lay family and relationships on the altar to let God truly have. And that Isaac you know what's powerful is that Isaac never resented Abraham. You know, could you imagine Isaac growing up and Abraham be like, can you take the trash out? No, dad, you tried to kill me one time. You don't read any resentment about Isaac ever talking because he saw that his father put God above family, put God above everything. And there's something so special about that, that a people that doesn't allow because what did Jesus even say? He said, hate your mother, hate your brother. Like, and he wasn't saying to be vindictive. He's trying to say that there can be no relationship that can cause you to forsake following me or to forsake being obedient to me. And this is where the enemy has wedged in because he gets people caught up in different lines of belief. And that's why I was saying before that your identity determines your destiny. And the enemy knows that more than anything. The more you know who you are, the faster you'll get to where you're supposed to be. The more you know who you are, the faster you'll get to where you're supposed to be. So if you don't know who you are, you're, gonna, you're just going to be thrown by everything that's going on in the world. You're going to be just, it's going to, nothing's going to land and you're going to be totally destroyed by what is going on in this world. And we're seeing it happen so quickly. Now, my, my final things I want to say when we're talking about this war that we have to be so aware of that's happening, that in, when Jesus came to do his first miracle, it's the, turning the water into wine. This took place at a wedding. This is so important. Jesus was so symbolic in what he would do that Jesus manifests himself and his glory starts to spread 
at a wedding because he is showing that when, when a commitment to family is made, that's when my glory starts manifesting. He chose to manifest his glory, his first miracle at a wedding to show that I'm coming to restore family. I'm coming to restore and take it even a step further. You know the first resurrection that Jesus performs is a widow and her son had died. That means she doesn't have a husband. She's a widow. And Jesus, with compassion, sees this woman that does not have a, a husband. And what did Jesus, who is he? He's our bridegroom. So Jesus came to this widow to symbolize this first resurrection encounter, that I am coming to be the husband that Adam wasn't, that Adam screwed up, that man has screwed up, that Jesus is saying, I have come. And not only does he stand in the gap, he raises her son from the grave to show that it's stopping. Jesus wants to come and not just give you goosebumps and give you nice feeling. He wants to restore everything in your family and in future generations. You have to understand this in your heart that God is about unity. He is about family. He's about bringing the body of Christ together. Now, if you go with me to Acts chapter 2. This is where the Holy Spirit fell in the upper room. This is the birth of the church. Jesus told them to wait. And you know the very first thing that when the Holy Spirit fell upon them, they began to speak with other tongues. It said that tongues of fire were upon their heads. And Peter gives an impromptu sermon. And you know the very first passage of Scripture that he references in, from Joel is in verse 17. It says, it shall come to pass in the last days, says God, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. You see, when Jesus brought, he came and allowed the Holy Spirit, you know what his first point of order is? The children, family. It's not about this church organization and who has this and this. You see, the success of ministry is not how many people you can get into a building, but how much the Holy Spirit gets into people's hearts. How much is happening in people's lives that they're being changed. Do you know that there are churches across America that the, the, the whole congregation may be on their way to hell because there hasn't been any decision to follow Christ. It's all been program-based. Reinhard Bunke said that the more, you know, the less Holy Spirit you have in the church, the more cake and, the more cake and coffee you need to run it. You know, you need to be at a place where the Holy Spirit is the main attraction. I don't want people to come here because somebody's a good speaker or because of a good band. I want people to come here because the living God resides here. And that if you know somebody that is broken, if you know a family that's falling apart, that you invite them here and that they're going to experience God himself. It's not just getting around a couple positive people. It's getting around people that have decided, I'm not going back to that old life. I had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus. And I can tell you, I can, 
I can tell you some good things that I'm doing, but I'll tell you the only thing that's changed my life is me getting on my knees every day and saying, Jesus, you need to help me be a better husband. Jesus, help me be a better father. That I'm telling you that even with my children, as I correct my little girl, that sometimes I'll just correct her. And as soon as I walk away, the Lord will be like, you need to go and love. Like God was fathering me and everything. You see, you can't just get caught up in A plus, your one plus one equals two. God is trying to speak to you in every situation. He's trying to navigate you through life. But we get so confident so quick because you can just learn things. You can Google things. Nowadays, families don't even have conversations around the dinner table anymore. Do you know what that does? It allows you to look into people's eyes. What's really going on? What are you really struggling with? This is what the church body needs to be. It can't just be a high and by. I, you know, there's people in this room that you probably know that I've reached out to you, and uh, I may even got annoying. You know why I get annoying? Because I see a call of God on somebody's life, and then I see them starting to get away from the pack of sheep, and I said, no devil, not on my watch. That person has a call of God on their life. I can see that they're dealing with some insecurity, and you know you go after them. You go after people in your life that you see are falling away, got different things going in their mind. you got to love people. Amen. So he says, let your sons and your daughters They'll prophesy, and he says, your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. What's so amazing about this is in Acts chapter 10, does you see how it says your young men shall see, dream, see visions? Do you know Peter's a young man when he's preaching this, and I, I, I want us to realize that God is about to start, <laughs> that nothing challenges your love walk than God sending people in your path that you don't like. When God wants to take a body or a group of people to a new place of love, he'll send people you don't like on purpose to see if you'll still love them. This is important you see this. And you know what? The Jews at that time did not like the Gentiles. If you're not familiar, the Bible talks about the Gentiles, and the Gentiles were pretty much good for nothing, just living for the world. They were a part of, the, you know, if it, it would be very similar to just like the Republican and the Democrat, right, left wing, like it was just the Jews didn't want anything to do with the Gentiles. Do you know what God does to Peter? Is Peter has a vision, and this vision God says to him, Peter is seeing unclean animals that the Old Testament talks about. And every time he sees an unclean animal, you know what God says? He says, don't call unclean what I have made clean. And he says it to him thrice, three times, because that's how God has to speak to Peter. Does anybody else need God to tell you three times? I'm thankful for Peter. You know, sometimes people are like, he had to tell him three times. I feel like God has to tell me like ten times or whatever. Like, like he's got to get on me. And this is just Peter's love language. Like when God tells Peter something three times, Peter's like, I get it. I get it. I, I, I denied you three times. I get this charade. You love me, Lord. And he just goes. But he tells him three times. And you know what happens is that Peter is seeing a vision. And then in Acts chapter 10, when you go, you'll find that 
Peter goes to a Gentile's house because the Lord lit. And he, you see, he doesn't like to associate with Gentiles. He doesn't want to go to the Gentiles. God sends him to a, a man's house named Cornelius. And he's a Gentile. And in verse 24, you know what it says? It says, and, and the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them. And he had called together his relatives and close friends. And you know what? Peter goes in there and he preaches the gospel and the same Holy Ghost that fell on all the Jews in Acts chapter 2 now falls on this little house of Gentiles because God is calling us to walk in such a place of love that we start walking towards communities that Christians have biases about that don't want to talk to and we're going to preach the same gospel and people that you have had problems with or you don't agree with, you're going to go in there and you're going to preach the gospel. We are about to start seeing the LGBTQT community come to Jesus. We're about to start seeing, we are about to start seeing Muslims come to Jesus because we're not gonna just try to have nice little Christian cliques and just try to get recycled Christians. No, we're gonna go to the places that we that normally we don't like and we're gonna see Holy Spirit fall. Joshua 24, the very last chapter of Joshua. Joshua's talking to all the people. And, and I just love the word of God. Does anybody else love the word? In Joshua 24, I want to read verse 14. Actually, I want to start at verse 12. Because this is after they have taken the promised land. They have all this Joshua has gotten through. It's the very last chapter in Joshua. He says, I have sent the hornet before you, which drove them out before you. Also the two kings of the Amorites, but not with you. Not with your sword or your bow. I have given you a land which you did not labor. Cities which you did not build. Remember, we were talking about this earlier. And you dwell in them, and you eat vineyards and olive groves which you did not plant. Now, therefore, fear the Lord, serve him in sincerity and in truth, and put away the gods which your father served on the other side of the river in Egypt, and serve the Lord. And if it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your father served that were on the other side of the river, or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. You see, we need men and women of God to stand up and say we are not going to tolerate what is, there has to be a group of people that stand up and say, I'm going to fight for righteousness. I'm going to fight to see. I'm not going to allow the, I'm not going to complain about how the school systems are indoctrinating children. We're going to go in the schools. We're not going to complain about what's going on in our cities. No, we are going to rise up and we are going to infiltrate. We got, the church has to stop complaining about what is going on. We need to move forward and advance. But it takes somebody that says, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. And that's not just in name alone. That means that there's things that got to die so that way you can love right, that you can get. So when we worship, you should be saying, God, take, strip me of everything. 
that causes me to look at people sideways. Strip me of everything that causes me to get angry with people. Strip me of everything. Like we need to pray prayers because the main reason you get frustrated and you're angry is because too much of you is running your mind. When Jesus said die to yourself, he was, he was giving you good advice. He wasn't giving you bad advice or painful advice. I'll never forget, uh, if you're familiar with the Upper Room, has anybody heard of uh, the Upper Room Church? Um, I had the privilege of speaking to the pastor um, one time, uh, Michael Miller, and I was telling him right before we started Gold Street Garden Church, I, I got to talk with him right before we launched, and, and he said to me, oh, you're about to start a church. He said, get ready to die. He's like, get ready to die. And Nick, you were right there with me. Remember we were talking, he he said, get ready to die. You know, you would, be ex- you, that, that you would be expecting to hear something like, that's exciting or whatever. But he said, just get ready to die. And I'll tell you what, the more, the more that you, you, you love God's body and you see, I'm sure there's people in this room, the more you, you, when you love people and you see them grow, your heart breaks when you see them not see themselves the way that God sees them. It is the most, inf- it's the most frustrating thing because I know even with my little girl, like I pray Every day for my children that, Lord, I just pray that they would always know how loved they are. That there's nothing that they could do that would make me love them any less. And the reason that people in this room, you, you, you might miss it, you might fall off, is because it all comes down to you. You just don't know the price that he paid. You don't get it. But that's why you need to ask him. Because once you see the cross in your heart, once you see the price that was paid, It's a done deal. It's not just he made me feel better. He he completely transformed me. I'm no longer who I was. So I want to encourage you all tonight that we need to fight for family. Because the enemy is doing everything he can to destroy it.